0: who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continued in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Greg. I don't know why I'm emotional about this. I just am. I just am. Um, I, as a pastor, I, you know, well, my own father just passed away a few months ago, and, you know, and, and uh, but this text that we're looking at is one of those texts that remind us that no matter what happens, no matter what kind of issue we face, God is bigger. God is bigger. And God brings hope and joy even in the midst of the most difficult of times. And we spend much of our time not realizing how important that is. Have you ever noticed that there are some things that are just kind of too big to describe? It's like it's such an awesome event and all you can say is, oh, you you just I guess you just had to be there, right? You just had to see it for yourself. Some things are just too big Big for human words, unless you experience consider, for example, we experience it in nature. How many of you seen the Grand Canyon? Is your experience like mine? It's like you know it's just a big hole in the ground. But when you go there, it's just like something. What happens to your spirit? It's like, wow, what is this? How do you describe the Grand Canyon to someone who's never seen it before? And even a picture, does it really do it justice? no it just really doesn't there's something about these experiences we, we and most all human beings have them they come and they experience something just so big words won't contain it just can't tell it you know or we experience it not just in nature but also in art say for example in a mozart sonata or or a beautiful dance or a compelling play or a well crafted book a, a great movie you're sitting in that setting or enjoying that book and you're transported to some place new and, and it's rich and it's and you try to speak about it how you describe it, you, you really can't, but you know the experience is real, right? you just you feel somehow enriched and enlarged in the midst uh, in the midst of that. yeah, we experience it in nature, we experience it in art, we experience it in love, don't we? On Thursday afternoon, I sat with my family at Thanksgiving. Donna and me, my mom, our three kids, their spouses or fiancés, seven of us together, sitting around that big mesquite table, squeezed in. And after dinner dinner was over, we went around the table and shared what we're thankful for. I don't know what's the matter with me today, but... And to, th- and to think of these three, two new children to me. A son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, and then another future daughter-in-law. And thinking about how, as my family has grown and my kids have gone out, I've lost, but I've gained so much more, right? I mean, one of my kids gave up her name to get some other gook's name. Her name's Wallace. <laughs> but now I have... Another girl who's got my name again. You know, I'm just teasing about that, of course. You know, and I sat there, and, and uh, you know, it, it was said. I'm, I'm thankful to feel at home in this family, and you know what happened in my spirit when I. And so when it got round to share, I thought of the two women sitting next to me, my wife and my mother, and realizing I could enjoy none of this without those two. You know what I'm saying? What is it about that? It's an experience that's rich and deep, and it's real. We know it's there. It's how we know we're more than just bodies or atoms bumping up against one another. There's something within us. We just experience it, whether in nature or in art or in love. Each of these things, the truth of our experience goes beyond our ability to describe it, but we know that it's Real. Yeah. It's as if the experience is more real, more weighty, more substantive than we can express. You know, to fully appreciate the majesty of the Grand Canyon or the the beauty of a Mozart Sonata or the joy of a family gathered at Thanksgiving, you simply must experience it for yourself. It's real. You know it's real. Now, To a degree, I feel some of that predicament this morning because while it's easy for me to get you to see how massive and beautiful the Grand Canyon is, or how beautiful a work of art can be, or how beautiful a family gathered at Thanksgiving to be, this text that Greg just read for you are some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. They describe an experience no less majestic than the viewing of the Grand Canyon. No less meaningful than the sitting around of a family at Thanksgiving. No less real than the joy we feel when we see a great play. We're studying one of the most awe-inspiring texts in the New Testament, but you just have to experience it for yourself. So my challenge is great this morning. I want you to see how beautiful these five or six verses are and to experience something New. You know, it's, visu- it's virtually overwhelming, really, if you look at it. Like a movie or a theater production, it's kind of a, a riveting and compelling story. And like the loving family around the table, is a deeply moving scene. But we can just get accustomed to it. We don't think about it. It can be like that fountain in Fountain Hills. You ever been there? Ever seen it? I used to live there. And I remember when I first would go through, I couldn't drive down that street without going, whoa, you know? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It just looks so... But after I lived there for a while, did I notice it? No, we don't. Or even this scene here, you come to visit and you think, Oh, this is just beautiful. I love the desert. But when you live here, you can get accustomed to it. Yeah, I am afraid that we won't be able to see So let's take a moment to just think about this text this morning. I just call this message, Jesus Christ! Now when I say it like that, what does it almost sound like to you? (laughs) Now do you get my point? But when we think about who Jesus the Christ is, we should be able to stop and go, Jesus Christ, and have it mean what it's supposed to mean. And that's my hope this morning, is that as a, a group, we can sort of experience Jesus the Christ in a fresh and new way. We can become so familiar with the truths of Christianity that we let them wash over. Don't think about how significant they are. Yeah, I'm going to read the words again. Now imagine that you're in a world of religious pluralism. A world with many competing philosophies, many religious views and worldviews. one where people assume that one religious leader is as good as the next and that Jesus is just one name among a variety of religious options. If you assume that, you're assuming the context into which Paul wrote that letter. There was a small group of believers who had learned about this man named Jesus and had committed their lives to him, but they were in a culture which didn't know who he was, didn't know what he was about, and they were eager to grow in life, and they didn't really know the truth about who Jesus was. Of course, if you imagine that scene for them back then, you know you're imagining the scene for us as well today. Don't we live in an age of religious pluralism, a world with many completing philosophies and religions and worldviews, one where people assume that one religious experiences as good as another well we're very much like those people so the Apostle Paul wrote to these people who were wanting to know how can I grow spiritually he knew that one of the most important things he had to tell them is you've got to see the fountain all over again you've got to see the canyon all over again you've got to be able to experience who Jesus is because if you do You won't have time to waste your time in all these competing worldviews and religious philosophies, yeah. So let's listen to these words again. He speaks about Jesus. He says, I'm just going to read the portion that's in the back of your worship notes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, this is such a weighty theological passage that I've had a hard time figuring out. How can I describe it for you? So this is something you can't get in one message, but I'm going to try, and I'm just going to give you a few thoughts about it. I want you to consider this under four headings, Jesus and God, Jesus and creation, Jesus and the church, Jesus and me. Now, you may not think those are big <laughs> ideas or interesting, but I hope by the time I'm done, you do. Yeah, because we will see that Jesus is majestic, as majestic as the canyon, as beautiful as the Sonata, and as lovely as the family at Thanksgiving. And if we can see that we will renew our commitment to him. Okay, so let's consider, first of all, Jesus and God. There are two things that are taught in this passage about Jesus and God. The first thing is this. Jesus is the image of God. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He's saying that when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. They didn't really have photography back then like we do today, you know. But if we we're to put an image, you can look at and you can see the image. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. He is the physical representation on earth of who God is. He is in, in the Bible, well, I'll get to more of this, but he is the image of God. The word is icon, alright? It's by looking at Jesus that we discover who God is. He is the image of God, the invisible one. Now I going to touch on these ideas because they have, there's several things we want to get through. But the point is that when you want to know what God is like, look at jesus jesus is not different from god the father the old testament doesn't give us an angry mad god and jesus a loving forgiving god no when we look at god we want to know what god is like you look at jesus that's why people will say well i believe in god i believe in god the question is what god do you believe in what is the god Well, just sort of this ethereal force your answer if you're a christian is i believe in god as revealed in jesus christ i want to know what god is like I look at Jesus. I see him loving the unlovely. I see him serving the poor. I see him forgiving those who persecute him. I see him laying down his life for those whom he loves. I see him speaking the truth in love. I see him coming full of grace and truth. That's what God is like to me, okay? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's more we could say. Uh, John chapter 1 is, we've just looked at John uh, uh, for uh, quite a few months, and it, it says in the 18th verse in the similar text, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only, the only God. The one who was at the Father, he has made him known. Jesus came to let us know what God was like. So Jesus was God among us, the image of God among us. So Jesus, first of all, is the image of God. Secondly, under Jesus and God, Jesus is the fullness of God. Verse 19, Jesus is the fullness of God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Sometimes when we think about the Trinity... And of course the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The Trinity is a word we figured out later. To try to put words, it's like the problem of describing something. It's the way to put words to something the Bible is talking about. Sometimes as we think about the Trinity, we think of the Trinity like a three-part pie. You know, God the Father, God the Son, and you get one part of it and that's it's all pie. That's not really the truth about the Trinity the trinity is that all three dwell repeatedly in one another when you're looking at jesus you're seeing jesus and the father and the spirit they live within one another yes i know it's a mystery you just got to see it for yourself right you got to experience it you know they dwell in one another it's not like you just have one third of god when you you know like there's your piece of the pie you know no they dwell within one another so we see god when we see Jesus. And Jesus is the pleroma, the the fullness of God. Jesus is not just one representative among many. He is God walking among us. That's why, you know, if you recall, when they had the, you know, the storm and the boat, at first they were afraid of the storm, but then the guy in the back of the boat who's not even a fisherman gets up and he says, be quiet, And, and it just all of nature obeys and then now they were afraid of the storm and now what are they afraid of? They're afraid of the guy in the back of the boat and you would be too if you really saw how powerful he was. His glory was veiled so they didn't see it very often, you see, because all the fullness of God dwelt in him. In fact, that text is repeated again in verse 9 of chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily all right so we see Jesus who is Jesus in relationship with God he is the image of God is he is the way that we see God the representation of God on our earth, on the earth and he is the fullness of God all the fullness of the deity dwells in him in bodily in him, verse 19 said, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not just one third of it. That was him. So this Bible teaches, this text teaches us very clearly the, the, the deity of Jesus Christ. That he was flesh, but he was also God in the flesh. Jesus and God. That's the first thing. The second thing that I want you to see is sort of take a look at this picture together. is what it teaches us about Jesus and creation. Jesus and creation. It tells us two main things about Jesus with several subheadings. In a lot of ways, this is really the point of this little poem, verses 15 through 20. In the verses 15 to 17, we see that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. And in verses 18 to 20, the second subpoint, Jesus is the Lord of new creation. So He is the Lord of all creation, and He is the Lord of new creation. We see that he is the one, so see what it says about Jesus as being the Lord of creation. Look and listen to some of these words. They're found in verses 15 and 16 and 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now when we read that from our vantage point, that seems to indicate to us that Jesus was God's first creation, right? It seems as if that's what it's saying, but that is not what it is saying. Okay, it's not speaking, because look at what it says just after that, for by him all things were created so how can he be the first created being and then create all things, did he create himself you see, no, that's one way we know that's not what it's teaching it's not speaking about it in terms of a, a, a time, it's like firstborn, as in the, the principal heir of a state, the first of first importance among all creation, it's the jewish idea of primogeniture of giving saying you're my firstborn you get all the family property you see you're the most important you're the head of the family right you you see what i'm saying right yeah and so that's what it's saying about jesus he's at the head of the family he's the he's the like um it's the it's when a when a A father would give to the son It didn't always have to be the firstborn. You could say someone else. It happened in the Bible quite a bit. You're the one who gets all the blessing. You're the one I'm saying is in charge. That's his place. He is the one over all of creation. And then it says in verse 16, so he is the firstborn of creation. And then secondly, he is the agent of creation. For by him all things were created. So that means that Jesus is the one through whom creation. So this creation belongs to Him. And then it says in verse 16, all things were created through Him and for Him. So He is the goal of creation. Everything belongs to Jesus. This world belongs to Jesus. And in verse 17, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I mean, there's a mystery, and it's kind of odd. You know, we first became scientific, and we thought we understood the the universe, and we thought the world was a little clock that was ticking, right? But now science is realizing there's a lot more chaos in the middle of this universe, and we have things like quark theory and all these things, trying to explain things we can't really see. You just have to explain it the best that you can. Uh, The reality is, God, Jesus is the one whose power holds this whole world together. I'm not trying to be just mystical, but I'm saying there's a mystery about how this. He is the one in whom all things hold together. So we see that Jesus is king over everything, all right? Listen to verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible, invisible thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, there is no government greater than Jesus, there is no power than greater than Jesus, there is no evil greater than Jesus. Jesus is over everything. All things were created through him, and they belong to him. Jesus is the Lord of creation. You know when we talked about Je- when you talked about Jesus, talk to jesus we 're talking to the, the boss, you know. When I sat and prayed to him, I was talking to that guy. When we come here and sing songs, we're singing to that guy, so better buck up and quit nabbing your way through these songs. Would you do that if he was there? (laughs) You would never do that. Yes, sir, right? (laughs) The truth is, we're walked by the fountain. We don't even see it. It's a beautiful mystery, you see? And as we see it, our lives begin to change. And if we don't see it, We'll be like the, the cat that went to see the queen and didn't see the queen but saw the mouse under the chair. <laughs> <laughs> remember that old fable thing? I found a mouse. And we're just playing at things that don't really matter. And we know at the end of the day that that new thing we bought won't fulfill us. We know at the end of the day these things will only make us feeling empty, maybe gratified for a moment, but not satisfied for the long term. But we chase after those because we've lost sight of the truth of who Jesus is. He is the Lord of all creation, He's the head muckety muck, as they say, right? <laughs> So, he's the Lord of all creation, and then, next, he is the Lord of new creation. Verse 18 and following, and he is the head of the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. This is speaking about the fact that, before we're talking about Jesus uh, lordship over all of creation as the creator. But this is speaking about Jesus as the redeemer. The one who was brought about new creation because he is, has, has been raised up from the dead. He's talking about the first born, the first one to be raised from the, that in everything he might be preeminent. You see the Jesus through whom the world was made in the first place is the same Jesus in whom the world has now been redeemed. He is the firstborn of all creation and He is the firstborn from the dead this is accomplished through his resurrection jesus by being raised from the dead is in the process of bringing about new creation so jesus is there for the blueprint for how we're supposed to live in this world see he did it by reconciling to himself all things whether heaven or earth making peace through his death on a cross the great mystery of this is such a mystery. But we, first of all, if this man Jesus was God in the flesh, that's mystery number one. But mystery number two is this God in the flesh died on a cross. God dying. How can that be? How can Jesus die? But he did so that he could bring about new creation. And he's making this world right again and we're in the process of that i see i need to hurry jesus and creation jesus is the lord of creation he's lord of new creation quickly then and jesus and the church we see that jesus is the head of the church verse 18 he is the head of the body the church he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. You see what God is doing through Jesus is recreating a new humanity and he's doing it through his church. Us gathered together. He's basically saying, this is the way we want you to live. This is a much better way to live. Jesus is the head of the church and number 2 Jesus is the redeemer of the church. You see, He gave His life, making peace by His blood on the cross for us to bring everything under Him. So as we gather together, we gather together as a new humanity, a new community, with a new head. It's Jesus as our head. He is the Redeemer of the church, Jesus and the church. You know, it seems as though a church is a a A a very small entity, and especially in our case, we have a building, right? You know, I remember reading a story. Long, I forget all the details of it, but there was a a well-known the uh, department store in in Great Britain that wanted to expand and wanted to buy this little Quaker church next to them. You know, it was just a little church building there, and um, and uh, so they wrote a letter and they said, you know, we're such and such department store, and just name your price, and you know, we'll we'll buy your building. We want to expand. And they get a letter back and he says, you know, we're the such and such Quaker church and actually want you to know uh, that we actually want to expand and we'd like to buy your building. (laughs) Signed, Cadbury. Well, this this church had a prominent member who was the owner of the Cadbury Chocolate Company you know these Cadbury's today they had plenty of resources. see it wasn't the size of the building but it was the authority of the signer that mattered you see the point when Cadbury signs and says I'll buy it you know it can happen when Jesus is on your side it doesn't matter how small you look that's why the buffalo chip is not just doing us a favor they're doing themselves a favor right and they know it you know because Jesus is in charge, of what's going on here? All right, I need to hurry. Jesus and the church, and that's what we had the ability to be a part of. So, so all the you know, why in the world would a handful of people, you know, with no money, no talent, no backing, just he said, let's have a church in Cave Creek. Why would you do that? Because you know who signs the check, right? And it's not you and me, right? <laughs> You know that God wants to do something, and you just move out in that faith. All right? Finally, then, Jesus and me. Jesus and me. He says, and you, who were once alienated and hostile, doing evil, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That's this story, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister or a servant. See, Paul understood that it was all about the gospel. He was merely a servant of this great story, the one who would tell that story. So he's been speaking globally, and then he speaks personally. And and you, speaking to individuals in that church, You are part of that. God has brought you to himself by his blood. So make sure that you have responded in faith to Jesus and make sure also that you're living out the hope of that gospel. Well, we've had to sort of cut our tour a little bit short, but I hope that somehow as we go from here today that you can see that this Jesus that we're talking about He is the Lord of creation and the Lord of new creation. He is God in the flesh, the image of God, the fullness of God. And if we are part of his church, we may be small and little right here. We may feel very small, but he's in charge. And that's the team that's going to win when all is said and done. You see? And he is the one how, who knows how best to live your life. TV's been telling you all this week what you've got to own in order to have a good Thanksgiving or Christmas. They've been telling you that, right? It's a lie, right? But we give in to it all the time because we don't see the blessings that are ours in Christ. So I encourage you, let's affirm our faith and confidence in this Jesus. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus. We're thankful to pause before you for a moment. And we hope that our eyes are opened up a little bit to how beautiful and majestic and lovely you are. And the truth is, when we don't see that, we will call other things beautiful and majestic and lovely. So help us to see who you are and how uh, able you are to meet every need in our lives from birth until death and beyond and so father we want to be in that group who have responded in faith to you and if there's some among us who have not yet done so maybe this be the moment when we say lord i want to receive what you offer to me i want to bow before you in jesus name amen